when does art become art are we rolling we've been recording this entire oh, okay, time okay. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just that i mean like have you ever asked your friend that when does art become art like what does that even mean no but i mean i suppose like well when it, there's an observer um okay but if i have a piece of paper and i just draw a line <laughs> is that art uh how good is a line <laughs> it's it's okay it's an okay line mm. yeah i mean like i i i guess i noting in this case that the act of observation is you know more serious than like a mere glance like nobody's going to be studying your uh line in a gallery like they might you know uh, so so is art in isolation not art well i mean I think, or you, are know, you the observer as well? Well, the artist, I think, certainly experiences the performance of you know creating art mm. probably differently than any given observer of it would, right? Like, and of course, every observer has a different sort of emotional reaction or otherwise to a piece of art. But if there isn't any of that for either the artist um, or uh the observer then no i mean i like it's not art it's oh. like i mean a line on a piece of paper Is or it it's uh like the album that drake dropped the other <laughs> <laughs> okay gotcha yeah so there is a threshold though for instance like is a work of like a work in progress is that art still because the observer would only really come in after the fact most likely right uh, i mean i museum think settings it depends on the medium in large part like if a yeah. guitarist is working on a song but it's just you know something they were whistling on the train one morning and then like you know came home started jamming around with and then you know got maybe a hook or you know chorusy sort of line but mm -hmm. you know no other lyrics and then they're you know shot in the head tomorrow like that didn't exist at all really like uh -huh. interesting in the sense that it was never observed right tree forest falls uh -huh. here question mark Okay. Are you saying well, art needs to be immortalized to be art? Not immortalized, just observed. I mean, no. certain mediums are obviously like, you know, auto-saving. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know, like, you know, what it would take to to wipe this, you know, what we've recorded so far right. off of the map completely, but... Okay. I mean... Would you say a finished video like a podcast is art? Yeah, I mean... Finished video mm. like a podcast is interesting because that's like a podcast is primarily an audio medium, right? But um, is podcast art? That's a better I think, question. Yeah, I, I think it? it can be. I think there, there's, I guess there's like art of the interview, right? So yeah, like, the, the guidance of the conversation and is creative in nature. Absolutely. And I think there's a, a huge difference between like staging a conversation like this one or one that's mm. you know oh, okay. more or less improvisational and like generally longer form i think than something that is short for short form if it, unless it's like you know a sketch comedy mm. mm -hmm. it's like a talk show or interview type right. thing which is scripted yeah it's not very oh. i don't look at jimmy kimmel and walk away feeling like it's art yeah. but you know like I could, I could listen to a jre and then i could walk away being like that that conversation that was i felt the meaning that they went through in that conversation and wow i think somebody who does both well and probably the best not the best at either one of them individually but the best at doing both for those that have tried is conan o'brien oh yeah 
Because he's got like a lot of podcasting stuff going on. I saw he just signed like somebody else to like, or no, he does. Uh, he does like the Parks and Rec podcast, but he's got Rob Lowe hosting. And he's not like it's just you know under his label or whatever. Yeah. Um, which is interesting. Labels, of course, being something that you know emerged in like what 20th century America to um, move vinyls. <laughs> Is that the original purpose, just to move vinyls, not for, like, a management of an artist? I think so. I mean, like, yeah, I mean, what was an artist in that time without vinyl? Like, if you're not recording music, if you're not mechanically reproducing music, mm. then, you know, people in town know them as, like, a bard or, you know, they... Town they, musician. Some minst yeah. traveling minstrel, right, <laughs> could, like, exist... But, you know, they couldn't coordinate, like, a worldwide tour unless, you know, people were hearing them on the radio or, like, you know, at right. home on a phonograph or That's whatever. interesting. Yeah, that feels like somewhat recently that we are now be able to reproduce art at such, like, a mass amount of volume. Yeah. Like, we can... Like, vinyls, I think, is a perfect first example. It's, like, before that, like, it was basically live shows, right? You can't reproduce it ex exactly on vinyl, yeah. right? You'd have to play it again. Yeah, I think it was you that told me um, a couple months ago that uh, the first time anyone listened to music without somebody playing music right in front of them was like I mean, just a, a little over 100 years ago or something. Oh, like that. yeah, it wasn't that long. Like it was uh, uh, John Philip Sousa, if anyone recognizes, is like writes a lot of, I don't know, pro-America marching band stuff for World War One. Um talked about the menace of mechanical reproduction and he was even just like going off he, he wrote this like you know essay which at the time was hard work with what quill and ink i don't know it was, 19, <laughs> it was like 1910 i don't know um but uh yeah the menace of mechanical reproduction and is talking about those little like player pianos mm -hmm. like not even you know soundcloud right yeah. but, like, but just <laughs> the most basic form yeah like a, a wheel that spins like a music box right or whatever yeah. and and he's like this is be, you know beyond this is going to make people just think music is like cheap and then anybody can decide who becomes an artist like you know and in that age you know he was deciding who was able to play by selecting people to play in a band that you know he could command like a, wow. a legion right but i mean even then it, like, it was like it was all symphonies right you mm -hmm. had somebody playing an instrument in front of you you've had that for thousands of years but people weren't playing sheet music that had been printing pressed you know that recorded what bach did or that somebody else wow. you know influenced right yeah that's really interesting that's weird that he had such a negative view on it <laughs> yeah it's like this is cheap. yeah it was like a hard it was like a hard take like yeah. controversial maybe i don't know yeah at the time reminds me of like big internet. vinyl might have been yeah, exactly it's mm -hmm. like internet's a fad kind of people you're like seems pretty reasonable like, yeah. <laughs> to record something especially with a music box it's the same thing every time you do it like that's an impressive task for that time yeah well the technology is impressive i think he was concerned that um in a world where you'd have to go to an event to listen to music there's a there's an appreciation kind of built into the interaction because you have to pay for it you have like you're looking forward to going to the symphony you like um inevitably kind of have to learn about that kind of music in order to appreciate it 
and then as music is recorded and distributed mechanically and you can just listen you can just pop in a vinyl and then like you know just listen to it in the background like i think he's afraid of that cheapening the experience of music which i mean now i think we do take from that perspective we i think we do take music pretty pretty for granted like i don't yeah, you know, yeah. Like, we, I love music, but... We don't mind skipping songs, like... Yeah, exactly. You know, like, like someone pours like hours into this... Past, into this, like, I've, I've, this track. You know, I've, you've heard so much in a, a given day. Like, think about the noise pollution just for, like, your existence versus somebody in 1910, right? Mm, yeah, like, that's you know, true. You're, if you're not hearing songs in the Walmart parking lot, you're, you know, hearing them when you're like sitting on slack like in a huddle on mute and yeah. like some <laughs> jazz comes on or whatever to yeah. keep you i don't know from you know, going yeah elevator music like, <laughs> yeah. that's true I mean, music's all around like all of my like my entire day is it's like you know i work and there's music i go to the gym and there's music yeah it's everywhere yeah. And, and like it's, yeah it's I'm, a very new phenomenon yeah although elevator music is kind of old Right, like elevators. That was back when elevators were like had an operator yeah, yeah. and <laughs> would DJ for you, I guess, while pressing <laughs> those buttons or something. Oh my god! Right. But they can only—I mean, that that could only have been a thing since uh, you know mecha mechanically reproduced music was was available. Which, right. When when was that a thing? Like when did was was vinyl the first medium for recorded music? You mentioned the piano that played I, itself back, but yeah, I mean. That I think came first to the piano, and then vinyl, probably which is remarkable to me. Yeah, shortly, shortly thereafter. I mean, I would guess that. Um, I don't know, man. I mean, they had to know a lot about because sound. That's like that's it's all analog stuff, right? Yeah. So I mean, like the you know what you know about playing music by you know turning it up on your like. AirPods or whatever yeah. is so not like I mean so the first phonographs right weren't connected to power they didn't electrically amplify the sound there was just the groove in the vinyl mm -hmm. and they were kind of like just a horn right mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. how a trumpet is essentially just a fancy or a trombone right more simple yeah mm -hmm. you have a big horn and then you like a length of tube as much tube as you can fit to you know kind of keep it in a range that you want and then um you know the variation of that tube length just being on a slide right but um so how did the if it wasn't electrically powered how did it spin at a consistent rate uh belt drive what is that? Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so there's oh, wheels, <laughs> wheels and belts. Like your cars have belts in them, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. That like are but like one wheel spinning. It has a certain diameter, and then another thing is spinning, and that's what's in the center of the thing. I don't know what spun the belt drive, but belt drive vinyls are like the creme de la creme in the audiophile community. Really, well, I understand why it is mm -hmm. as analog as you, as it could possibly get. Yeah, and I guess just from then we've been, you know, corrupting signal integrity at the sake for the sake of, you know, convenience while making Xerox copies of it. <laughs> well, that's yeah. right. For well, I'm, I'm like curious on these vinyls because, like, if it's not electrically charged at all and the needle is just going across grooves of a vinyl, how is sound being emitted? Like, what what's happening there? It's the vibrations of the needle as it moves through that groove. 
the <laughs> so the the groove inside the vinyl mimics the the, the resulting it, sound it wave. Is that you the guys sound wave. It is the oh. sound wave. It, it's the literal sound wave, the shape of the wave printed on vinyl. vinyl. So wow. if you're recording analog, imagine you have like a room here and a room here, and there's a wall in between them. Sure. Right. Um, you have somebody playing into some sort of sensing device or just, you know, yelling at a wall or whatever. And then somewhere in that wall, this sensing device is turned into a, like, think like an earthquake needle or yeah, something, yeah. right? Like it's, me it is a measurement of what's, you know, happening on the other side. And obviously, you know, recording technology has been absolute garbage, but, um, even then, like, you know, you're able to hear things pretty clearly. If you're doing something similar with, say, like two tin cans and a string or whatever, yeah. you know, like they do. Um, I mean, you can hear that for some reason. Like, I don't know, just vibrations, man. Like, what? isn't that what this <laughs> podcast is about? That's so crazy. Yeah. So like a sine wave, like, like hearing a sine wave yeah. on the vinyl that would be printed, like you'd be able to see a perfect sine wave. So within those I groups, mean, it's like waves. But, yeah. but how do you like... But that's just like the sound wave. But how do you? How does it catch instruments though? That's what I'm like. Like, how do you? Well, instruments you make sound. Yeah, it's it's like it's like, so that's what a track is when you're recording a song, yeah. right? You have like, um, you know, a vocal track, and then you have like a drum track, mm. and those are just each mic is tracked, right? And then you can mix that and you know master, it, and that's yeah. you know an art unto itself. Um, I was watching the. Another uh, actually conversational art sort of performance. Sure. Uh, David Letterman's show. <laughs> yeah. He was interviewing Billie Eilish, and her brother Phineas produces you know everything. Right. Yeah, he just saw them. Yeah. And they showed like you know in his, they were in like hanging out in you know Phineas's room, and uh, they were showing uh, Phineas was the I don't know just the production version of one of Billie's songs mm -hmm. and. There was for her like vocal track, there were over 270 takes mm -hmm. that had been spliced into the track that was, you know, on the airwaves. Yeah. Um, and obviously getting on the airwaves was a big deal uh, off of, you know, the vinyl waves and on into like, you know, the radio whatever radio probably yeah. wasn't that long after vinyl was pressed, which like, is crazy to me that it wasn't long after. Well, radio could have, you mean like musical radio? Because the technology could have like existed. Oh, yeah, I'm sure like without. military radio or mm. something. Yeah. I mean, there was like the telegraph system, right? I guess that's kind of unrelated. I'm just thinking of like how mess, like anything was communicated. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, but. Well. I want to get back to the art discussion as well. Oh, yeah. So like, <laughs> that's where this started. But like, do you think there's a threshold for art? Like something is not art and then it becomes art over time or is it art within the intention of itself, basically? Well, James brought up an interesting scenario with the, the guitarist who like, or the musician who, you know, was making a melody. Or, right, and got shot. Yeah, I don't know if that's... <laughs> Tragic story. That's art at that point. He's kind of He's kind of chugging away at it and then... I don't know. It's it's kind of on its way to becoming something, and we kind of all understand that. Mm -hmm. Like he's you know he's working on it, and he's like there's some there's some kinks he needs to work out. I don't know if a half produced song is art. 
but it's working toward it. So I feel like there's a difference between like kind of performance art and, you know, anything that is being constructed like a song. Cause Mm -hmm. I mean, if, if that were being composed in public, you know, maybe just as a street performer say, or like, you know, some guy who whistles on a train and then, you know, gets to his job at the guitar factory and, you know, starts playing sure. it. Um, uh, like, um, oh crap, what's what's the, the streamer's name who just makes uh, music live? Like he, improvised stuff? Mark Rebier? Yeah, Mark yeah. Rebier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Rebier. Something like that? What is it? Rebier. Rebier. Yeah. That's art. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. that. I would say street performance is art too, and I, that's I not even tangible or immortalized. That's still art. But it's observed. It is it's observed. It's making an impression on people. If, if people stop It's and making look, an impression right? on people. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So art is some it requires creative an endeavor. Yeah. It requires an observer. So it's a creative endeavor that is observed and well, let's just say felt maybe. Yeah, felt. If no one feels art, if, you know what I mean? Like it, let's just say it was bad art in a sense and mm-hmm. no one felt anything towards it. Is that art? For instance, like if a two-year-old had a pen no, and took it to a album. napkin, like is that no. is that art? No. I think there's something captured by art, right? It kind of needs to speak to some part of yourself. You, like you, you feel, um, I don't know, you feel related to when you observe uh, a piece of art. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not to say that, like, it, just because you don't feel something, it's not art. Because you know, some art, like you, could, you and I could stare at the same painting, and you, be, you, you could, I don't know, start tearing up at, at the sight of it. And I could be like, I don't, I don't, I'm not relating to this, but. There's still like a complicated emotion, something complex captured by the by the piece of art. And I think that's kind of universal. It doesn't matter necessarily what medium. Okay, I want to bring up a very specific piece of art. Okay. I don't know if you've seen it. it came out in 1989. All dogs go to heaven. No. No. All dogs go to heaven. Yeah, it was like Sounds a Disney familiar. movie from I don't know this Edison. sort of late you know modern disney life right yeah um but i mean it's yeah like i think you can guess the premise right like dog like was wondering about what happens after you die is there a farm upstate you know okay. is there a farm downstate <laughs> what is that like wow. right and so there's actually this scene where you watch the you know protagonist dog like basically get a sort of you know ebenezer scrooge like tour through hell oh right this is a Disney Wait, movie? what? <laughs> yeah, Disney? you know how Scrooge... I've heard just the title. I've never heard the premise of this movie. That's yeah. wild. Well, you know, like, Scrooge has the ghost of, you know, Christmas yeah. past, right? So it's like, kind of just, you know, that. He's not dead yet, but it's yeah. like, oh, like, you know, you keep drinking your life away. Or whatever. <laughs> what is like, this dog Whatever doing? dog is <laughs> doing. Is just right? chewing up the pillows? Or? Um, <laughs> the low lifer. Uh, yeah, you, you, you stayed on this path. Like, you know, here's where you'd end up. And then, you know, this dog takes you or some i don't know angel dog takes you know <laughs> wow like our poorly human dog uh <laughs> on a tour through hell that's kind of mostly mirroring like a sort of dante's inferno style hell rather than you know um some other conception of it okay. and that's what i think i actually what's what's interesting about that is that you know if you showed somebody who's around at like you know anno domini the year of the lord like fucking zero Mm -hmm. right and 
like some people are talking about like you know there's like some hell or heaven shit and like you know there's this you know jesus got whatever right like religion etc sure there's um storytelling there going on right like the bible is probably the you know the best-selling book of all time and um is just a collection of stories but you wouldn't call it art right like it's Why? got an agenda probably right like i mean art can't have an agenda well it can but i mean i mean would you consider the bible art or really <laughs> the bible art. and how would you compare culture that's you know held together in something like that versus a culture that's passed down through an oral history like mm. just you know kind of one storyteller to another storyteller yeah well the i mean there's an art to storytelling so yeah. yeah so i guess the the tradition of passing on the the oral tradition in and of itself is art i think the bible has just been able to um i would say masterfully capture the oral tradition um to the point where it's still the most relevant document i think probably in in the world probably yeah i, I mean our world at least yeah, I, I mean there's there. and there's infinite like wisdom to be gained i think from the bible um which kind of meets the criteria that i was saying earlier which is that it, it captures something co complex something that you're able to relate to and you don't you can't necessarily put it into words like you could read the same couple chapters in the bible and then get something out of it getting something different out of it every time you read it you could come back to it a year later two years later mm -hmm. and get something different every time yeah i would say that's that's pretty akin to like a masterful painting you'd find in a gallery like you can go back to the same thing they see a painting as you know a teenager and be like yeah like i don't know i feel something from that i don't really know like what it is and you can see it you know 10 years later and you're like oh like a completely different emotion more complex Right. Sure. Or a shaman like the, you know, kind of that you would go to for a sort of spiritual cleansing or like, you know, tell me, you know, what I must do or, uh, you know, like one of those spiritual mm -hmm. guides that you might see in an equally old book such as like Gilgamesh or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. Like, um, I think, you know, stories are designed to elicit emotional reactions, right? I mean, the hero's journey is i think something that's pretty well engineered at this point to the yeah. to, you know to the point where we can plan out 22 minute like episodes with like eight minutes of ad break like spread throughout yeah um but <clears throat> i mean again i think when you speak to well the 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 immortality of something like the bible right <clears throat> it was written down specifically because like i think you know i mean the old testament was written down because the jewish folks were worried about you know getting just obliterated and not having their culture preserved so a lot of the old testament books were written you know hundreds or thousands of years apart and you know, are kind of inherited through different tribal, you know, different the 12 tribes of Israel, right? And kind of spread out around and like each had these other, these experiences. And I wonder what that process was like. Like if, you know, they're each, each tribe sends a representative storyteller or something and they're yeah. like, all right, like 
you know, make sure like enough of ours get in there because you know our tribe got like has got this stuff figured out, and then right. it's like, sorry, like you know, we've Didn't heard enough from you. Like, no, that's not really playing that well with like the other tribes. So yeah, <laughs> that story is not going yeah. in the Bible for the rest of history. Like, we studied groups that didn't go well. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, I think I see what both of you guys are saying. So I mean, well, first is Bible art. I think is really a cool thing. You're saying that is a, coll- a collection of stories that everyone believes is true is that considered art and just because it's interpretable does that make it art right and i'm i'm unsure if everyone just came together and put a collection of 100 stories that just factually happened and that was the art i'm not sure if that's art i don't think so Mm-mm. does that mean art has to be creatively endeavored and if that's the case is the bible art because then that would mean it would have to be done with a creative endeavor right so and let me bring up another just piece of another collection of stories, right? It's, uh, you know, a little further east yeah. is, uh, uh, I don't know, I forget her name. It's like Shaharaz or something. Okay. And she was, for some reason, like sentenced to death by the king. And um, the king said, like, you know, tell me a story tonight and uh and then you know i'll kill you afterwards like you know. and so she you know wanting to buy time for herself like told a really long story but he really liked it so he was like okay i'll spare you another night like you know and and you'll tell me another tomorrow and she you know tells a thousand and one stories um like. and to it like you know with her life uh, like hanging in the balance yeah. every night and you know, at the end of this, the, you know, king just decides to marry her or whatever. And, um, but that collection of stories is like the, it's, I mean, it's not a Bible, but it's, I think a very important sort of like, uh, it, like a collection of, you know, information for a lot of Middle Eastern countries, like, like Alibaba and the 40 thieves is like one of those mm-hmm. as is like, I think like Sinbad or whatever. Right. Like, other kind of stories that you've heard mm-hmm. are a part of that. And I don't think it's, you know, intended to be as, um, you know, like spiritual in nature as like a book describing, you know, God and his like, you know, shenanigans with like sure. the folks on earth or whatever. Um, it is, it's still like a sort of probably Important. cultural preservation or like just transmission effort. I said it was put together. Like, I don't think there was ever somebody that, told a thousand and one stories like you know to keep the executioner at bay but um it's compelling enough i guess yeah for millions of people Hmm. so i mean i would consider that though art right i mean that one was just just for like the sake of vacuuming the situation let's just assume that actually happened like a woman was had to tell like tell a thousand one stories. I'd say that storytelling is art at that point, and the collection of stories would yeah, be considered it's like art. Street performer. Yeah, exactly. Because I okay, here's the difference: if like a research paper is an art, sure. But that I mean, again, that's just a collection of like well, information and data, sure. But like a collection of stories, which again is just a collection of words put in. You said it's not art, right? I wouldn't say research paper yeah. is art, right? That is science. I don't even know what. Well, I don't know that it's, it's like. Well, no, I think it's like uh, maybe it's journalism or something. Like yeah, it's yeah. a research journal, right? Like, well, I, let's figure out what that means because I think it is. Um, 
something that's written with the assertion of it being true. <clears throat> and that's something that I think is, I mean, contentious at times, yeah. right? Um, you know, Julian Assange got extradited, so like, that's like... Uh, you know, speaking truth to power is that art? Right. Probably not. But like, like I see. Because and that's like that speaks to what is the reason for somebody doing something, right? Mm -hmm. Like, are you doing it out of necessity, out of like um, some, you know, action that you are morally justifying, um, or is it something that is like free and creative? And I would probably say that if you're under duress, like, oh, my God, like, the world needs to know, you know, I'm going to tell this story, you know, I'm, that's one thing, right? Yeah. Versus being like, oh, like, this is an interesting story that I just think of as I, like, look out the window one day. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, like, like George Orwell or, like, Nietzsche or something like that. The commentators on the world. Yeah, that's done true. I think, well... Yeah, like commentary is I, I don't think commentary ever crosses the line of like asserting that it is true. It's just like this is what I'm seeing. Mm. But you're not necessarily like hmm. I mean, kind of depending on I guess, you know, who it is and their general tone. Nietzsche is a little bit kind of like this is like, this what's is the true. way it is, yeah. <laughs> like right, but um I think others are, you know, kind of like pretty you know like they wouldn't they wouldn't ever you know claim to be you know sure about anything that they're commenting on and if they do then it's probably like well i but but that's why i think you know and again probably not an art form but like the sort of philosophy that happened in athens where it's just like people, you know, shooting shit or whatever, talking about supply chain issues or like, you know, whatever it is they did in um, the Agora that got everyone, I don't know, thinking about stuff. And then somebody's like, we got to write this down. And that guy's <laughs> name was Plato. <laughs> got to write this down. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, you know, Plato wasn't doing that probably. He wasn't like, oh, like, this is like so creative and fun. He was, I mean, he was probably motivated by some like this is you know like this is the way it is right like the, the world needs to know um yeah. and that's something that i feel like is makes it not art like that sort of sentiment i get that one yeah because again going in before like we said art usually or it tries to like evoke a feeling or something mm. information specifically for like factual information's sake that doesn't, I guess it's not trying to evoke a feeling. It can, but I, that's not like the intended purpose, mm -hmm. which I think, yeah, kind of discludes it from art specifically because it's not a creative endeavor, right? Yeah. It's an integ and like mm -hmm. almost intellectual endeavor. Not saying those are different, but yeah, it's like, I mean, it, it can be artfully done. Yeah. I mean, you can it's writing at the end of the day, right? Right, exactly. Mm -hmm. um, oh, shoot. What was the thing that we just ended on? Yeah. like Nietzsche and whatever the tone oh, the, yeah. commentary the, uh, the sentiment of the world needs to know making it not art I think mm. I agree with that because mm. you can kind of I mean that's like basically propaganda 
at the end yep. of the day like propaganda or like art with an agenda you kind of feel mm-hmm. like you're i don't know i feel like wokeism kind of gets gets into that it starts infecting the yeah. the material you watch and you can kind of just feel that the the person behind the the, the screen like had it an agenda and intention when they when they create yeah you don't want your art to lecture at you right exactly (laughs) then it's not art it's not art yeah it's a good point yeah and i think but and and maybe again is that why we would consider like the sort of um so this is interesting because what would you call like a like the grimm's fairy tales right like are um uh all there's always like a moral to the story right so they are kind of a lecture and mm. i don't know i mean is it just because a, a child's unable to <laughs> the audience's <laughs> children and they're like not necessarily you know really thinking about at what point art is art or if mm. like um you know something like art or presenting these lessons as art is the only way that they can be consumed by yeah. the audience i don't know maybe i'll feel differently if i can kind of feel that there was a lesson uh, behind the art from a humble standpoint. From a, like a, not just given to you. The not just give, like, oh, I'm so certain of this. I'm just going to yeah. try and spread this message as, as, and, and, and I don't know, presented it in as many ways as I can in order to sure. try and okay, so relate it to you. But. What is the moral of Little Red Riding Hood? I don't know the story well enough, I'd say, to comment on it. Right. So, I mean, there's like girl, you know, walking through the woods. She has a red riding hood. Um, I don't know why she's not riding, but I maybe yeah, yeah, she's really walking. Right. And then a wolf <laughs> is like wanting to eat her or whatever. Yeah. Isn't able to. Uh, and But then, you know, one day he eats her grandma and like hides her or whatever. Come on, yeah. you've heard this before. Yeah, you know, yeah. No, I, I know, but like... Yeah, the I, wolf I, in the bed, you know the thing. All the better to eat you with, like, my dear, right? Yeah. Like, I think, oh, my grandma, like, what weird, like, eyeballs you have. And it's like, oh, yeah, they're wolf eyes. Like, duh. <laughs> Wait, so did Red Riding Hood... Like, what was the ending of the story? I think she got she, eaten. It, did probably she get eaten? In the original, like, oh, probably. Oh, probably, probably. Because the moral of that story is... What? Be more skeptical? I don't know, like... Tr- tr- Maybe, trust your instincts like, i have no clue what the they're... consequences of naivety yeah I mean, honestly that's a really good point i have no idea i i don't even know right. what they're trying to get with that story i don't even i don't know i have no idea why that's even so famous i'll be honest now after hearing it there's like a time like this makes no sense <laughs> well i don't think we told it as well as it must have been right Maybe. to survive as long as it has yeah like, um but yeah i mean if I a think... story survived that long it's, it's probably wise to think that there is something to it, even well, if you can't articulate it. And so it. people think it's worth telling again. You right. know, like, I'll make a point to remember what the story is so that I can tell that story. Yeah. And that's something that, you know, you might not feel. I mean, yeah, if, if you don't feel that when you see a piece of art that you're capable of replicating. Mm-hmm. Like, again, think to a guitarist who will learn the tab for a song mm-hmm. so that they can play it and perform yeah. it. Um. Like if, you know, if, if other storytellers or artists aren't, you know, in some way the audience of something you're doing, they won't take you as an influence to, or like, you know, pass that story along. Um, That's true. But I, I do wonder what those storyteller passer-ons 
what did they get from this and what are they trying to instill in what's saying it or maybe it's just like literally for entertainment and there's zero moral to the story that well like, i think it is. Brettle, it's not it's not pigs. for entertainment it's for like uh the pursuit of like an aesthetic ideal right there's somebody's like oh my god like you know it's like how other artists all generally you know i can't speak for like taylor swift specifically but generally like kanye like as an artist oh, his music specifically they're like yeah it's like it's you know super innovative or like yeah um like other artists are more willing to be challenged by music like experimental type stuff to the point that you know they might seek that out mm-hmm. to help them refine their own craft but also just because they like want to know what other you know brilliantly talented talented and creative people are doing and i mean yeah like the sort of i don't know like collective unconscious is certainly you know constantly you know syncing with itself mm-hmm. and reinterpreting things like jazz like uh you know like 80s synth pop or whatever into you know what's coming out on billy eilish's latest album yeah. right and that sort of like then point of postmodernism that <laughs> i think the internet is really all about where you're just able to like you know, put Bach in the same playlist as Cardi B and like, yeah. you know, skip from one to the next, like <laughs> with no thought as to like <laughs> your, the connection between. Right. And you're just like, oh yeah, like, you know, that yeah. it makes sense to me. Like, you know, yeah. it's <laughs> Sonnet 67. Yeah. Cardi right. B. <laughs> like that's what's next. I get that. Like Bach was writing all of his crap on a church organ. Right. So it's not like yeah. he was ever anticipating like Cardi B following like, <laughs> or proceeding like, you know, what it, people were coming from you know i don't know like rolling in the dirt like yeah. to you know hear him play and some person like yell at them in latin or whatever church was back then <laughs> like and um yeah i mean that's very different than again like when people approach cardi b's music it might be like you know like i don't know to hype themselves up or yeah, different feeling altogether um yeah, I mean, I listen to Kanye to hype myself up. I I don't. I not that I'm avidly against him in any way. I just it's just not my type of music that I seek out. Yeah, but I kind of want to go back to that as well. As like, why do you think? Okay, I feel like there's this curve or something. Usually, like, layman people love the professionals, like the world famous. Okay, and then you get into the field, and then you hate those same people, hmm. and then you're one of them, and then you love those same people again. What is that? <laughs> Why is there a road like that? I felt Wait, it. Explain that last one. So like I felt it in like the first time I felt this was magic. So I got into magic. Right. And as someone who didn't know any magic, I was like, oh, Penn and Teller, Chris Angel. Yeah, yeah. Right? Amazing. Okay. Incredible. Like, I have no idea what's going on. And then I got into magic and then like, yeah, bro, I don't know how many hours into it, but like, you know, a decent kind of familiarity to it. And I was like, I don't like them anymore. Like they, yeah. do, they do this, this and this wrong, that kind of thing. You get real skeptical. Mm-hmm. And then you be, I do not, I'm not a professional magician, but then you become a professional magician and then you love them again. Cause like, I think maybe you appreciate yeah. the art of it all. I, I think there's like, this point where you start to see uh, the mainstream um, artists in a, in a given domain as sellouts. Uh, and I mean, honestly, there might even be a, like a hint of like jealousy um, that's kind of fueling this uh, premise that oh they, they only got here because x or they're lucky or xyz or like they don't like i don't know there's this uh 
Well, I feel like almost entitlement it, that you're like I'm I you I, you, you think that you ha- you're at a certain level yeah. and you're just not you think you have certain um, I feel natural like given abilities it yeah. totally parallels the isn't that the Dunning Kruger exactly yeah. where it's like you you don't know a whole lot about it so like but but you think your confidence is so high yeah. and you're like mm-hmm. oh yeah like this guy's like this guy's trash like he's just pandering you know yeah to, exactly yeah and then you like you know realize that you're an idiot or whatever and like. <laughs> Um, and you're like, oh my God, it actually took, you know, Penn and Teller years to get where they are. And like, they're clearly like, they know what they're doing. They're not just faking it. I actually had that experience with Gordon Ramsay recently. I always kind of had the impression, like, he's kind of like, I don't know, like just a personality and like, um, you know, didn't really think much of not of him, but like, just of like, oh, he's probably not like, you know, like a real chef's chef or like. You know, okay. he probably like his his food's probably like you know derivative or whatever. You know, nothing. <laughs> what I'm saying though is that I found out I was wrong about that when I watched a piece of you know again manufactured content like from Gordon Ramsay on National Geographic streaming on Disney Plus, Uncharted. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> but he goes like and travels you know around the world, meets yeah. a chef from a country. Um, they introduce him to some of, you know, I don't know, their friends from their homeland. Gordon Ramsay goes out to this farm, forages over here, dives for a thing. And then, you know, he and the local chef have like a cook off for the people that helped them source the ingredients throughout the week. Um, it's really good. I think, I mean, a, it's like pretty perfectly tailored for somebody with my sort of general, like, you know, interests, but um b it's i mean obviously high budget enough that it like you know looks sounds feels good it's edited well that's right um it's national geographic streaming on disney plus with gordon ramsay after all Dude, so sponsored so i i didn't necessarily go in with like that high hopes but like i quickly saw that gordon ramsay was like you know like really genuinely making efforts to like learn about stuff like he was not you know like blowing people off or he he was just like conducting himself differently than i was expecting Mm. and he was also like i don't know just more of him came through that isn't like you know the like (laughs) the gordon ramsay that you know and like you know love from hell's kitchen or whatever was it he was on a show that went to different rest like failing restaurants around Mm -hmm. the the yeah 24 hours to hell and back yeah yeah was it 24 hours yeah, yeah, it was twenty four so. hours. Yeah, they, they, and he switched the menu, the entire interior, right? Some power wash, like the that's, store a, room. that's a crazy, <laughs> crazy premise. Yeah, it, it, yeah. But I started, to, I started to, my opinion of him changed through that show as well. Yeah. I saw like a different side of him. And I was like, oh, he's not just the guy who's mm-hmm. like yelling at everyone. He, like he actually kind of knows what he's talking about. Yeah. He he cares about. So about in this, food. <laughs> in this show so. too, yeah, I know. <laughs> I, like that that all came through, but also like. You watch him like, like he knows. It, it's clear to me why he's successful, like as a mainstream person, because he's so adept at turning like anything into like a like a bit or like a yeah. Um, and he's building like rapport with you know like farmers in like I don't know like Sumatra or yeah. like uh, some you know. M- market like traders in like south africa or yeah. something like it's he's he's got like a sort of universal appeal 
I, I think. And it's because he's like, yeah, I mean, very sociable and like, he's just, he's, he's able to perform in more ways than one, I guess. And in, and anywhere mm-hmm. is, is really like what this proves, you know, he's shooting the shit with like some like Bayou dweller in like, like at the very end of the Mississippi river. Right. Yeah. Which is like basically the ocean, but also swamp. Yeah. Um, and he's like, you know, having like fun, like, you know, talking about all this stuff, like, you know, making this guy who like, you know, would probably alienate like, you know, half of somebody like, yeah. uh, in, in any other interaction, like this guy's like, you know, shining on camera and like, you know, probably like, uh, you know, just visibly like excited to be talking to Gordon Ramsay. Like, I don't know. It just, again, like different sort of look at him. So you like saw him before the show and you're like, that's just a face. He may know what he's doing, but he's probably not that good at it or whatever you're thinking. And then this show hit and you're like, oh, he knows what he's doing. Well, I think it's that he and it's yes. And it's because he also it's because of how comfortable he is showing that he doesn't know what he's doing. Like he's putting Mm -hmm. himself in the position of the learner when he's going to this like place to cook and like like, you know, these are ingredients he's never seen before or anything like that. So he's like eating stuff raw and people are like damn like he's like eating that like usually like you know all these like white folks that come through like don't just like pull a grub out of a log or whatever like that is um, crazy like he's almost like bear grills in about like some stuff yeah um and i think that earns him like a lot of like sort of street cred with (laughs) wherever he is um but yeah i mean he's he's putting himself in this position of vulnerability that you don't see when he's screaming at people in the face, right? Like he's not vulnerable. Right, he's, he's the devil in hell's kitchen. Like, right. you know, he probably doesn't even want to do that is my guess. I like, I feel like the show is set up for him to do that and he has to do it. But like, yeah, when he's on shows that doesn't require screaming, he doesn't actually scream that much. He gets passionate, but like, he doesn't like just go out and like obliterate someone vocally. Yeah, but it'll like, be it like having happen. fun. Right. Yeah. Like he, he did like, and like that was just something about the show. Like he seems like young at heart. Like, I don't know. Yeah. He, will play like soccer like with people that he like runs into or whatever Mm. um and yeah like there's this one episode where i think this is when he was in yeah indonesia um there's like a local sport right our sports art doesn't matter (laughs) um i'd say steph curry is an artist but uh i digress um uh, he, there's this sport where he's got to hold on to the tails of two ox and water ski on his bare feet through like a rice paddy. <laughs> it's intense, but he does it. And he like, he, he like, you know, falls on his like face. He's like caked yeah. in mud. It's a rice paddy in Indonesia, right? Like it's not, you know, a no studio joke. lot like yeah. in LA. <laughs> And uh, yeah, and he eventually like he does it until he gets up, and I feel like everyone was like, "Damn, like Gordon Ramsay, like yeah, yeah. Like, like you earned this ox, like yeah, take it." Like, I'm sure they're also like paid handsomely for it, like you yeah, because it's like, but yeah, I mean, you get the sense that he's literally just like there to have fun and learn, and yeah, is generally well liked by yeah locals because of it. I like that you are judging him based off what he doesn't know, in a sense, mm-hmm. like somehow that is more of like a show of your intelligence than knowing and just like blurting out what you do know like knowing like 
yeah how do you cook that food i've never seen that before like how do we cook this that kind of thing like that's so much more telling than just them like being like just a textbook in a sense yeah yeah i mean i think we really appreciate seeing humility from people at the top like that um because i don't know we all know that not everyone knows or that people just don't know everything and you can kind of just tell when someone is just like bullshitting at the top 100 um well, and that's like, so back to the point about like, you know, the journalist kind of like, you know, this is true. Like, you know, the world has to know. Um, there isn't humility in that. There's only generally, I think, fear, right? That like, if this mess, if this isn't the message that's heard, you know, or if like, if somebody else like gets in front of this or mm. whatever, like, you know, things will go bad or things will be bad and, you know, people will die, like. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm thinking kind of specifically about whistleblowers and stuff where, yeah. when, like when things are leaked to like, um, you know, just kind of make everyone like bum everyone out on the fact that like the U S you know, military leadership doesn't know what they're doing in Vietnam yeah. or, or like, you know, anything else that is potentially, yeah, like tragic or devastating again. Like, I mean, <laughs> Julian Assange was recently extradited, um, and, was largely like you know kind of just i mean more so the crimes that the u.s is finding him guilty of are the ones that uh the the stuff that chelsea manning leaked about iraq and um yeah i mean i feel like she's the one that's like you know the world has to know julian assange is kind of just let the shady middleman <laughs> I, do, for, I do wish like more he's the uh he's the label Julian Assange is the like RCA records <laughs> of just, you know, like illicit information, I guess. Right. Yeah. Like, it's like, Oh, who'd you leak with? Like, oh, I leaked with, I, I'm on, <laughs> yeah. I'm on the yeah. WikiLeaks one. It's like, Oh, that was a good contract. I bet. Yeah. It's like at the Grammys of like whistleblowers or whatever. Yeah. Like yeah. <laughs> best of the best. Like, oh yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to, I think I'm going to be leaking. Who's the journalist that worked with uh, Edward Snowden? Wasn't it Glenn, Glenn, Glenn Greenwald? I Maybe no I mean if if, no. if you say so. Yeah, I, 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 don't, want, I don't want that going on. Right I don't now. know why yeah. the name Glenn Greenwald would that does be sound in familiar. your head otherwise. But yeah, I mean, right? Like that's yeah. You find you want to find someone super reputable and like yeah. whistle. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I wish more like articles when they're written, even if it is urgency. I wish there was like a portion at the bottom of just like here's what we don't know. I feel like that'd be super helpful actually. Granted, that will never happen. Never. Right. Because like why like. Yeah, it'd be so easy for like a reader to see that, and they're like, "Why didn't you find this out before writing this article? Like, this makes no sense. <laughs> like, like, it just looks bad when you're just like, oh, we don't know this. Like, just simply enough, we don't know this.' But I think that's super good in articles, especially if it's something right. like of like urgent information or whatever. And you're just like, yeah, but we don't know this side or their perspective or this thing. And it's like, oh, okay, at least they're honest. Yeah. Which brings yeah. me to uh, ground news, which probably isn't sponsoring today's episode, but um, <laughs> not yet. No, they, uh, I don't know if you guys know them, but it's like, mm -hmm. what is that one? It's, well, it's a news app, but it, um, isn't like publishing stuff. It's oh. just putting all of the different links curated, to like right? what oh, right, right, right. Wall Street Journal says. Yeah. Or like, but, and it's like, this is like the political spectrum. Like, you know, it's covered more by these right. types of establishments mm -hmm. or whatever. Um, yeah, London was telling me about this. Yeah. He was like, I'll read one. Very passionate about yeah, it. Yeah. Very like far left and far right, somewhere in the middle, just to get all perspectives on 
a topic. Yeah, yeah. still have yet to check and, it out. Right, and it, there, there's something obviously ideal about it, and it's yeah. like what you would want to do if you were investigating a topic. But of course, it, it requires so much more time and effort yeah. to to uh, like thoroughly look into something. That's true. But opposed to what being exposed to only one side of the issue. Yes. Which is obviously worse. Yeah. Um, or the approach that I've taken, which is like, I mean, I used to be very passionate about basically anything going on in the country or the world and just kind of like would form my own opinions on it. But there's there's too much going on all the time and most of it is irrelevant. And so like my approach lately, and I don't know if it's the right one, but I feel happier so far, but Mm. I don't know if it's the, the best strategy moving forward is to just kind of ignore it. Like, yeah. like just like only get into things that I feel like actually matter. Yeah. Um, I don't believe everyone should be aware of all the dangers all the time. No, that, I don't. That's I not don't. a way to live. That's not no. efficient either. Like, no, not everyone is a politician. Like not everyone yeah. should be an activist. And like, even every politician, should they know every single danger like on earth? Like, is that, oh, is no. that even efficient to so, let them know all of that? No, like, I'm think- not sure. Probably not. So they I, make a decision? I recently did something extreme and uh, went to a movie theater and watched <laughs> what? watch a feature film. Um, it was called Everything Everywhere All at Once. Yeah. And I don't know if either of you have seen it, but it's um, looks great. generally about that, but kind of on like a, you know, kind of, you know, existential level of, um, <laughs> you know, like just be drowning in that noise, right? And being like, you know, taken from, you know, one reality to the next when you read one thing, see another. Um, and uh, just the sort of, I mean, like nihilism that causes the, um, well, person who's saved. Um, but I guess I digress a little bit because I also want to talk about that in the context. That's the world that I think activists are living in. And I want to advocate now as somebody that's comfortable, you know, performing a conversation on camera mm-hmm. um, for advocacy work. Like think think of advocacy work as maybe a more noble pursuit than activism because mm-hmm. activism is very much taking place in that noisy, noisy space of like the present time where like, like an activism is always like, it's like an assembly, right? Like a march or whatever, yeah, yeah. like that is you know, like very much grounded in the presence, like co- like creating noise, which serves a purpose and it like happens and will always happen. But advocacy work is something that you do as an individual, requires like individual responsibility and competence. And that's like, yeah, you think it generally like a- people advocate for things adjacent to their areas of expertise. Like Gordon Ramsay probably has a charity right where he does like things that only Gordon Ramsay could do to like facilitate i don't know like food left over from restaurants going to homeless mm. shelters or something right like that's sure. that would shock nobody if Gordon Ramsay had a foundation that did that mm-hmm. um or you know like some NFL like all NFL players have foundations right like yeah. <laughs> where it's for you know hurricane relief mm-hmm. or whatever like um and that sort of, I guess, uh, well, philanthropy is um, something that, yeah, generally requires, well, it, it, 
Mm. Well, let me what separate about the people that can't do that, like that. Can't right. Start yeah. I want to separate advocacy from philanthropy because they are completely different. Right. But, advocacy... well, but there's a difference focusing on one topic with humility and gaining competence in it versus acti activism, which is a little more short circuited. Like you kind of like I, I perceive it as you kind of hear opinions, you kind of get fired up. And then now all of a sudden you're kind of repeating the same. Yeah. I mean, there's a there's, there's a personal there's, there's... stake in advocacy work. Right. Like you, you I can see. only like okay. you, you like you're representing a cause like as an individual when mm -hmm. you are like a lawyer that has to do pro bono hours for something. Yeah. Right. And so you have to pick something and you are like lending your time, which as a lawyer is valuable. Like you could be making, you know, however much lawyers make per hour, you know, doing anything else. But you specifically have to do things for free a little bit mm -hmm. for something that's like, you know, like yeah. supporting a nonprofit or whatever. Yeah. yeah, that makes sense. Okay, so you're kind of differentiating activism, which is more being a part of a collective without being an individual voice within that collective versus advocacy, advocacy, where you're kind of an individual supporting a cause without however you can. Yeah, and I think it's particularly offensive to me when people, not necessarily in power, but of power, choose activism over um, advocacy, right? Like if you, if you were a lawyer and, and, and like, let's say, yeah, like that, like a, you would rather have a lawyer or like a lawyer is better able to demonstrate their support for, we'll just say like, you know, this community by like, you know, advocate like let's okay we'll use the war on drugs right marijuana smokers are you know suffering in jail cells like still right mm -hmm. while we're high and caffeinated yeah. <laughs> and like you know talking about it um you know you could a lawyer could march for that but anyone could march for that mm -hmm. only a lawyer could you know work to get sentences commuted or whatever um and so with that you know power comes great responsibility or whatever. And the, there is, I think a, um, expectation or even a moral obligation to do things that you are kind of qualified for, um, more so than there is like a moral obligation to change your Facebook profile picture to like, yeah. you know, pray for Paris or whatever. Right. I get those. Yeah, that's very different. <laughs> You're kind of using your individual skill to support something that not everyone can do. That's advocacy. Yeah. Activism, let's just say it's very low effort in a sense. Like you're not doing anything as an individual to like use your own skills to support this. You're just kind of being like, oh, there's a gathering here on this day at this time. I can I can do that. Like very, very easy to do, quote unquote. Right. This is the other one. Yeah. And for that reason, I mean, it is like, you know, like you could go to a any given you know like protest or whatever and if you're not you know at the center of something that's you know broadcast everywhere on like via social media to whatever um if you're not like directly adjacent to something like that like you know it just will have happened yeah. right and there's there's no real like consequence even in your life for like having done that like even if you were doing it for a cause you really believe in you'll only be able to pat yourself on the back like to an extent before 
you feel like you need to go protest again or like yeah. or or whatever right like it's it's not as satisfying mm. as like you know again if you're able like in, in a lawyer's case to get somebody get one innocent person out of jail right like that's something that you know and and yeah maybe a protest did like bring about some great change but you'll only ever even feel like you know a like you know fraction of a fraction of a part responsible for that as you would for like you know feel immense gratification for yeah like doing something yeah, monumental for one person that makes sense and do you think politicians choose the activism route because it's just sounds better optics in a sense well they i mean one reason would be that they have an incentive to go with the the larger crowd and yeah. bow to their whims right there's there is an issue with democracy slash uh, a republic being that every politician is fighting to get reelected. Yeah. Um, which means, I mean, you kind of have an incentive to offer quick solutions to Crowd very, co very complicated <laughs> yeah. problems. Like yeah. this is the kind of field, this is the kind of uh, area that I see activism in is like, you're like, if, if your solution to a major problem that exists today can be summed up in one sentence, I, I'm not taking you seriously. Like all of the problems that we're facing, and especially in the activist world, like these these problems are, for the most part, like very complicated, have multiple sides to them, yeah. like needs to be interpreted with nuance and you need to be able to, to, to converse about them. But a lot of activists are just have this like one track mind and are unwilling to listen to other perspectives because they're very frequently seen as, there's, there's very frequent, in, in the world of activism, there's like a, there's like a good and an evil, yeah. which I believe advocacy kind of navigates better because I mean, they're able to, because they're competent in the field, they're able to see that it's, uh, you know, it's, it's more, it's more complicated. Um, yeah, they, they go in, they go in it with a humility, which there's yeah. kind of like this arrogance to, to activism, like going into something kind of feeling like you understand the problem well enough that you can spout this one sentence off like solution yeah. off and, it be the answer but anyways our politicians are kind of catering to that because they're looking to be reelected, and right. there's their terms are not long enough to make long lasting Changes. effective change with you know yeah yeah two or four years is not that much it's, time for a, such a complicated problem it's like it's not gonna take two to four years like well and that's why i would say like broadly speaking politicians themselves are they do more advocacy work than I think anyone could really know. Like, mm -hmm. cause again, like that's not the type of work that is in the news. Like it, it isn't news that they, that a politician does their job. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like, um, and, and represents a community on like an issue that is like, you know, important to, uh, you know, congressional district four in yeah. Nevada. Right. Like, you know, generally like who cares, right. Yeah. Like, not MSNBC or like, <laughs> or, or something that yeah. isn't like a hyper local radio station. Exactly. Um, so I, I, but I, I want to talk about like, I guess the difference between like orating and cause, cause that's like, well, because I think when, when usually you don't have like politicians aren't I wouldn't say activists themselves like, yeah, Mitt Romney can, you know, march for BLM. But like generally the way that like it's like it is like, a, you know, a Trump rally or something. Or I'm thinking specifically 
of uh, Cato the Elder in Rome, you know, ending all of his speeches with, and Carthage must fall, mm-hmm. or whatever. And then, you know, Carthage did fall, and, uh, you know, it was great for, like, you know, Roman crop yields, and, you know, Cato was an emperor or something. I don't know. I'm a little rusty on that. But I think what's, you know, and, and even, like, the greatest protests, you know, that you might learn about in, like, history class, right, like, Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech. Like, you're not really studying the protest. You're studying the text of the speech to understand what that protest meant, right? So a protest is a very sort of, like, I'll use a word that I learned kind of recently, inchoate, spelled kind of like chaos, right? Like, it's um, just the general sort of unorganized nature of like a nation's response to something they don't like. Right. And so this is, uh, uh, the book I was reading or the book that this was in was a book called the regime and the revolution by a historian, Alexis de Tocqueville. Um, and he's talking about how like the, you know, revolutionary, the, the revolutionaries are not necessarily like able to revolt until somebody is able to take this sort of inchoate, you know, mm-hmm. anger, or resentment or whatever that's like, you know, boiling under the surface and like direct it, mm-hmm. yeah. right? Through probably like speeches or whatever. Like, I don't know, look at how Hitler came to power, right? Like mm-hmm. it's those who can like mm-hmm. command the will of the people by sort of, you know, putting this turnkey into what is like, some sentiment right and i think what's different about you know like orating like that's an advocacy work right like that's yeah you're like that's like probably past advocacy even and like you are really like an influential person in like world history right like Mm -hmm. if you're if you have the keys to do that yeah if you are like Winston Churchill in London 1943 or yeah. whatever like that's you know like those are like historical times that you know require tact right or or at the very least like something deliberate to be said or um so also not art right probably like is the, <laughs> is the I have a dream speech art like uh no uh, no I would say the yes. writing. I'm not sure. Yeah, probably. Like public speaking can be an art. Yeah. Or writing could be an art. Yeah. Well, if it is, I feel like it's it has to be done for more entertainment purposes, right? Oh, like, I see. like a stand-up mm-hmm. comedian is art, but like you know, yeah, like a Trump rally isn't. I see. Like he's he's saying something is the way it is, and you know, and a comedian might be doing the same, but not to like convince you that it's true, right? Just yeah. to like be like, isn't that funny? Like right. those are different. That's hilarious. Is political speech art? I'm not sure. Yeah. Well, what's interesting is that Hitler was an artist. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Right. <laughs> a bad artist. Uh-huh. A, a bad artist, right? Like to get, you know. Rejected, like rejected from school or something harvard yeah. or whatever yeah harvard. but he was very artful with the way that he was able to wield that 
uh, when you say inchoate? Yeah. Like yeah. Wield the energy of the inchoate. Of the German people who were like down on their luck following like World War One, right? So yeah, I mean, he like definitely understood the sentiment that the German, the sentiment that the German people carried and channeled it towards something that's, yeah, like generally recognized as horrifying. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And that's like, hmm. again, yeah, why just... Hitler is able to shoulder so much of the moral culpability for like what Nazis did mm -hmm. because like, you know, it wouldn't have looked like that unless yeah. he was, and, and again, like he had that ability, he had that great power and, you know, had no sense of responsibility. And that's why like his name will live on past like, you know, any given Nazi lieutenant, right? That was just following orders. Right. Yeah, is competency art, right? I guess that's the question we're trying to answer here. Mm -hmm. If you do something effectively and extremely well, like you said, Steph Curry is an art. Like, is yeah. uh, is an artist? He changed. Like, there's, I think there's artists. A, there's an argument to be made for that. Artists have to be competent at something. Um, absolutely, at whatever medium. That, it depends on the medium that they do their art in, right? If it is oration, it's public speaking, right? It like mm -hmm. you need like some people cannot public speak, yeah, right, and they never would have made it as Hitler. <laughs> and probably like, <laughs> that's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I mean honestly, that like Hitler probably had a speechwriter who is somebody like that was on trial in Nuremberg, but um, you know the yeah, I mean I think we've already <laughs> mentioned that's not art. For an artist that plays the guitar right needs to be able to play guitar. An artist that and and this is actually something because like rappers talk shit on other rappers that use ghostwriters, right? Yep. Like Drake. Um, but this is probably the most controversial thing. Like I'm coming at Drake hard this episode. <laughs> it's not the first time. Okay. Um, like so, Drake uses ghostwriters, yeah. and other rappers like feel like they like he's not as competent as them, you know. Even and and therefore like not as good a rapper, not like one of the goats or whatever, right. greatest MCs of all time because of that right like and um i mean whether you're like ranking artists against each other i think that's kind of like silly generally but um yeah i mean the reason i would say steph curry is like more of an artist than like lebron is because lebron was really good at like kind of just playing the game of basketball as it was kind of currently defined right Whereas Steph like kind of Broke did more boundaries. to reinvent the game, right? Yeah. Like not everyone's shooting threes from like not like Steph, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, no, no, but everyone's like there's there's more players that are trying to like shoot crazy distance long. Well, and long I think it's threes. because like Steph had to gain a competency to play the game like that, and obviously LeBron did too. I'm not saying yeah. LeBron's not yeah. competent in basketball, but his like I mean he was. He, he was always like a, you know, sort of like freak of nature being like six, nine and like, you know, from like age pretty 12 built. or whatever. Like, yeah, he's like, you know, a, like, pretty, pretty built for a basketball player. Right. Pretty and um, and his game, m you know, maybe less so as he's gotten older, but like was largely based on, again, like kind of the way that basketball had been defined up to a point, right. which was like big man, like, you know, throwing it down. Or like, you know, at least like being able to sort of, you know, push people off and like, you know, get a clean shot off or whatever. Yeah. 
Steph is just taking shots from places where he's not even guarded because it's like people don't shoot from that far out. <laughs> yeah, like, and now he is. Now they do. Like, yeah. yeah, there's like there was this uh, this image that I saw of like before Steph Curry like really gained fame as the as as the goat of three pointers, and it was like a heat map of the court of like where shots are taken on average, and then it's like over the years the heat map has started to like just get farther and farther from from the hoop. Wow. I think uh, so. He's like he's changing the game. He's he's changed he's changed how basketball is played. Like he's obviously like he's seen as the goat of right. of that, but he has inspired younger players and I mean, and existing players to to take those shots which were uh, previously not advised to yeah. take. So I think another part of that is that when you say inspire future players, right? Like LeBron can inspire people, sure. But kids can't like imitate LeBron. Yeah, you can't court. you can't aspire to be six <laughs> right? nine. And like, you know, you know, yeah, you can't be like, like, or, but like, you can't do anything LeBron does on a court. Only LeBron can do the things LeBron does on a court. Yeah. But you know, like, and, and this is why I think also maybe Kobe a little bit, just in the sense that like, you know, kids on the playground are like Kobe, like, you know, taking yeah. shots that they might miss. And Kobe Bryant missed more shots than anybody in NBA history. You know, like he's one of the, like, like per volume like, volume like the most missed shots oh just in, wow. what, a, what a percentage of missed shots oh i don't think he's I, mean, the, I don't not. think he's the worst he yeah. just took more shots than anyone right yeah and made a lot of them missed more yeah but like you know obviously to to even have the chance to miss that many shots like you know most nba players are out of the league before they even attempt that number of shots mm-hmm. true he probably missed like let's just say 20,000 shots right like but that takes like what like 10 years maybe to like get if you're like a starter that plays a lot of minutes and stuff yeah that is pretty wild all right well we're gonna have to have to wrap up here we've known for like hour 20 minutes which is wild all right it was quick yeah i suppose i mean how do you wrap up something that's had like lebron james hitler (laughs) (laughs) Uh, with Drake a happy and John Philip Sousa, <laughs> we say thanks for watching. Yeah, that's kind of it. If you're well, thanks so much for being sure. here, both of you. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. We'll have to do like solo episodes too. Eventually, mm. we'll get there. We'll see. Sounds good. Yeah. Till next time, I guess. Cool. Bye, everybody.